welcome back to the Veropolis podcast. Of course, I'm joined with Nathan, as usual, and what a podcast we have in store. This week, we've seen the giant killers added again, and quite the crucial victory for Chris Wilder's side in the championship. Two wins to talk about. Nathan, it would be ridiculous for me even to ask how you're feeling, because if you aren't currently on top of the world as a Middlesbrough fan, then I'm not quite sure if you're supporting the right team. Yeah, it's been cloud nine after this week. Um, we did say last week how good it'd be to to be filming a podcast on the back of two wins in two games that were were massive this week, and the boys have just pulled it out of the bag, and we've got two fantastic results into the quarterfinals of the FA Cup and a vital victory in the championship in the race for the playoffs. So yeah, fantastic week. Yeah, obviously, I think given, you know, we've got two games to preview in this podcast and, of course, we're going to be talking about the two victories for the majority of it. I think what's best is we get straight into the action, to be honest. And, you know, starting with Spurs Tuesday night, of course, we we considered doing a sort of immediate reaction, but we thought, well, you know, two for the price of one, two victories. It made sense for us to, to leave it. I mean, we had that confidence in the team to get the job done. Unfortunately, they have done that. But on Spurs first, it was a, a bit of an interesting one, Spurs, because, you know, we spoke about it last week and, and sort of said that it was a little bit of a free hit. But, you know, as it gets closer to the sort of daily game and you think, well, actually, you know, we're on telly. It's a great opportunity for us at home. We've beaten Man United, who some would say, you know, are a better side than Tottenham. I think the the FA Cup has sort of given us an opportunity, opportunity, I should say, before I, you know, start getting really carried away and messing <laughs> my words already, Nathan. Um, it's given us an opportunity to sort of play with a, a little bit more freedom and, you know, especially against United, of course, we, we rode our luck a little bit, but certainly it's seemed to me that, you know, off the back of both cup games, both upsets, that actually we've sort of been better because of it. And I know a lot of people make out that oh, it might become a little bit of a distraction and things like that. Um, but yeah, certainly you got to um, the day of the game against Tottenham. And for me, I thought, well, again, we've got to get at Tottenham because, you know, we've seen their attacking capabilities, but as of late in the Premier League, especially going into the game, we saw their defensive frailties. There was obvious uh, chances to get at them. And, you know, we have players that can hurt them as, as much as they do us. In terms of the team, Nathan, going into that game, Sparrow and Watmore back up top, um, even after the Barnsley game. And, of course, Matt Crooks back in the team uh, after suspension. Happy with the team and sort of um, not really surprised to see uh, the team that was put out? No, not really surprised, if I'm honest. Um of course, Crooks coming back in. Uh, I think that was expected going into this game. Um, of course, he's been out for the last for the last two before this um, with the suspension for for ten bookings. But yeah, uh, Sparan, what more up front? Pretty pleased with that. I think uh, the, the the pair complement each other quite well. Um, of course, what more's pace and, and, and pressing that we talk about endlessly on this podcast. Um, is there for all to see, really. And he's always going to put a shift in for you. And Spira is his movement as well, complements what more perfectly. So I think I think both of them up front was was fair enough. Um but I think 
with, with this team at the minute that there's hardly any changes at all. Really, the only changes that we're beginning to see are, are ones to the front line, which of, of, of course are going to be rotated with, with games Saturday, Tuesday, every week. So I think we're going to be pretty pleased with the team every week um, from now on. Of course, it was good to see Mark Bowler on the bench as well, uh, coming back from injury and giving us another option down down that left-hand side. So, yeah, a pretty pleasing team sheet. Yeah, and, you know, just moving into the game now, really, sort of, it took me a little bit by surprise because actually, in the first half, I, there wasn't too many sort of clear-cut chances for either team. And, you know, you'd expect, of course, Tottenham to have a lot of the ball, but it never really felt in the first half as though they were dominating at any stage. You know, unlike Man United, where... You saw every five um, seconds in the first half, really, you were almost breathing a sigh of relief. You know, they were missing chances and and had the better of it. But it, it didn't feel like that against Spurs. And although it didn't feel that, like that, we didn't really, you know, create all too much either in the first half, apart from one rush of blood from, from Joel Umley um, when he comes charging out and just missed times it and, and Doherty then puts it over the bar. Nothing really to note in the first half, actually. Yeah, it was rather quiet, but I felt that, that we were pretty okay in that first half. Um, comfortable in possession. Looked to try and create some openings down the sides, but things just weren't really opening up for us. Tottenham were, of course, playing uh, very compact um, defensively with with the bank of, of three with wing-backs. Um, and then, of course, Winks and Hoiberg sitting just in front of them, just sort of destroying play. Um, and then, of course, with the forwards, they're just looking to hit Borough on the counter, really. Um, there was opportunities for them to do that, but pretty much every opportunity they got, it ended up with an offside for either Kane, Son or Kulosevsky. So, yeah, it was a quiet first half, really, in terms of chances, but I thought that Borough had sort of just got themselves into the game and felt that probably going into the second half, that Tottenham were, were able to be got at, if I'm honest. Yeah, and that, that did sort of prove to be the case in the second half, you know. Um, of course, we'll go for it chronologically, but in terms of the best chances of the second half, they all, for me, fell to, to our side and, and fell to the home side. And, you know, I think as much as there was varying, uh, varying <coughs> chances for either team, as I say, the best chances fell to us and the best chance of the second half, for me, Matt Crooks, uh, probably no more than six yards out. I know we're skipping forward a little bit into the second half, but um, of course we we want to get the real um, juicy bits of that FA Cup tie. Um, Housen swings it in from the corner, and for someone that we've seen all season, you know, be an aerial threat and be quite clinical in the air as well uh, in front of goal. I was kind of just waiting for the back of the net to bulge, to be honest, as I saw Crooks rise up but it, it wasn't a B quite a more of a shock actually that he didn't score to be honest yeah it was uh, how Matt Crooks has found himself free in Tottenham's boxes is quite frightening uh, and I think it needs to be said that they need to look at what, what they're doing defensively for from that part, uh, perspective but yeah it was a big chance and it felt like at the time um, that it was going to be one of our only chances of the game really um, Tottenham did well to limit chances on Larissa's goal, really. Um, and a free header in their box 
that he that Crooks nods over did feel like a massive chance at the time. Um, but yeah, we're, we're glad that we didn't um, we didn't rue that miss. Yeah, I mean, quite well, quite shortly after. To be honest, we almost felt as though we were going to rue that miss. At least I did anyway. You know, that felt like a huge chance in a game. And of course, you know, like United. Um, we didn't have all too many chances and we took the one chance that we sort of had, at least the, the one clear-cut chance we had. Um, shortly after, as I say, from quite the distance, actually, um, after, we should say, Harry Kane had had a free kick in a similar area and then slipped on his backside. Tottenham <laughs> um, changed the free kick taker. Um, and Eric Dyer has a pop from a free kick in the second half. For me, a good effort... But perhaps, and you know, I'm, I may be deemed a little bit too harsh on, on Joe Lumley here. I felt like, although it was a good save, Lumley knew the cameras were there and sort of tried to make a little bit of a meal out of the save. I, mean, I, I think I know which, uh, I think, sorry, you'll know which one I'm talking about. Yeah, it was a pretty routine save, but it's the uh, the full dive and, and sort of reflex save in front of the camera. But yeah, a good save because it would have been going in from Dyer. Um, but yeah, it was good to see Kane slip on his backside uh, just just moments before that as well. Because um, when he's stepping up uh, to take that one, you, you sort of expect him to to rifle it in the top corner, England captain and, and all. But yeah, a good a good effort from Dyer, but it, a good a good save from Lumley. Um, it, it felt like at that point in the game that it, it could probably go either way. Um, but yeah, Tot Tottenham found themselves 1-0 up for a, mo a moment after that. Uh, but then a big sigh of relief was breathed around the, uh, the riverside as, as the linesman's flag was up. Yeah, it was, uh, as you say, a, a big sigh of relief, you know, from my position in the ground on the night and I know obviously your position in the ground, Immediately when the ball's swung in, it sort of gets flicked on. I think Dyer makes first contact and then um, Kane's obviously there tapping at the back stick. Did a part of you sort of sink? Because, you know, from obviously we sit in the, in the West Stand, both of us, it's not a great angle when you're sort of further back, you know, towards... Uh, Towards at that stage, um, Tottenham's half, so it was difficult for us to see. But um, looking back at Monet, as you know, he, he is quite clearly offside. But also, what I, I think the the decision was given that Kane was offside. But actually, should he have not been offside, he's pretty much having a WWE wrestling match with Dale Fry before he even <laughs> decides to put the ball in the back of the net. So it was going to be disallowed for a foul, at least you would have um, hoped for. But yeah, a, a little part of me sort of was really concerned as he as he wheeled away towards those Tottenham fans because I felt, you know, actually it, it was on a bit of a knife edge of the game, but actually there was a real chance from Crooks. You know, we were sort of grown into the game and I felt if that had been given, it would have just knocked the stuffing out of us, to be honest. Yeah, it would have been. It would have been quite the sucker punch, I think. Um, Tottenham had not too many chances, of course. We're just saying there that dire chance was was really the only chance that they had in that second half up until that that offside goal. Really, um, I, I was quite disappointed with Tottenham, if I was honest. Um, of course, coming off the back of, of going to Ellen Road at the weekend and winning four nil with 
all their front men getting on the score sheet and you sort of expect them to, to come here banging form and and sort of give us a, a masterclass on how to attack and, and, and get at teams. And they didn't really offer that much, the, the, the forward three. I thought Son was very quiet throughout the game, although he did have a chance or, or a chance or two, really. Uh, one an extra time and one at the end of normal time. But, yeah, quite disappointed with Tottenham in terms of their chance creation. Yeah, um, just as you say, chance creation, quite ironically. Um, I thought the substitutes for Tottenham made a difference there, uh, Stephen Bergvine coming on. And, and he was the one really where all sort of night, I, I never really was too concerned. You know, of course, you know the dangers that uh, Kulisewski and, and Kane and Son possess. But never, you know, I say never, you know, really threatened, of course. They had the ball in the net, of course. It was still offside, though. But every time Bergvine picked up the ball, I was sort of a little bit concerned. And um, and one moment where, you know, the, the crowd was electric all night, of course. We'll get on to the, the part where the Riverside really erupted. But actually probably erupted um, just as much when Bergvine goes through, gets in behind the Borough defence. And to be honest, at that stage, again, you know, typical pessimistic me. I was ready for him to just roll the ball past Lumley. And from almost nowhere, Paddy McNair makes, I think it would be fair to say, a goal-saving tackle to stop Spurs and, and Bergvine giving Spurs the lead. A quite heroic piece of defending, to be honest. And just everything that this Borussia side is about, especially in the FA Cup this season. Yeah, it was a proper cup tie tackle, really. Uh, very last-ditch. And yeah, it's it saves a, a, a pretty much um, confirmed goal, really. Bergwijn, all he has to do is slot it in that far post and, and Spurs are 1-0 up. And yeah, McNair flies flies in, wins the tackle. And uh, it's a vital block for us there. Uh, but yeah, I'd agree with you. Bergwijn was the, uh, the most dangerous man when he came on, really. Um, strange Tottenham... Did change shape as well. Um, they went to a four, um, putting Davis at, at left back and having, of course, um, Son Kane, Kulisevsky and, and Bergwijn all on the pitch at the same time was very nervy, um, especially with, with Bergwijn driving through the middle of the pitch with his pace and, and then three go flying either side of him, um, looking to create chances. But yeah, it was it was a big big chance for Spurs, but a, a fight, fantastic tackle from from Paddy McNair. Yeah, and then you know as the game really from from that point starts looking as though it is going to head to extra time, I think both sides sort of had had almost you know not accepted that it was going to head to extra time, but it just you know it kind of felt like that in the ground. I don't know how you would feel on that one, but for me it just you know there was a certain level of acceptance until Marcus Tavernier decided to take matters into his own hands and picks up the ball, I think initially in his own half, bursts through the centre of the pitch. I, I would say unmarked, but, you know, he takes the ball that quickly. I don't think any Tottenham players sort of have the chance to get anywhere near him. And, you know, as we've seen so many times this season, it opens up on the right for Isaiah Jones. You kind of, and, and it, it sounds ridiculous, really, because... When Jones has the ball in, in sort of the, the latter stages of the pitch in advanced positions, you sort of just expect him to pick someone out every time now. Um, almost su uh, superhuman-like in terms of his end product. 
<laughs> he cuts one across the, the yard. <laughs> Sorry, coughing fit there. No, I, I can understand, you know, thinking of uh, the, the right-hand side of, of this Middlesbrough team at the moment um, gets many people ahead of themselves. So, Nathan, I, I don't blame you for that one bit. Um, but in terms of Jones, he, he gets really into a position where I think the shot is probably on. And I think, to be honest, he gets in t- uh, caught in two minds, whether he's actually going to cut the ball across or, you know, really fire it at Lloris in, you know, Instead of doing one or the other, he, he kind of does a mix of both. And Larice does well to get a hand to it and then Tottenham clear. But at that stage, you know, although we had the corner, that felt like, you know, we'd had the Crooks header. But that felt like really probably the biggest chance of the game. Yeah, it was. Um, it was an interesting chance in, in terms of um, Tavernier driving through the middle of the pitch. Um, with the ball past Heuberg and Winks in there, and then a, a ball down the side into Jones, and it's a cross-come shot, I think, really. I think he's in two minds in terms of what he wants to do, but he fires one across goal. It's, it's saved by Larice, and yeah, it was, it was a big chance again, but I think the game was always going to extra time at that point. Yeah. Um, just as I say, you know, the, the sort of best chance, and in the stadium, especially, you know, we, we speak about, you know, throughout the, the cup ties, we have these moments where against United, Crooks' moment, um, against Tottenham, um, Crooks again potentially has his moment, heads over, Jones has his moment, you know, doesn't quite get the contact right. And one man that had been, you know, excellent throughout the, the game, I thought, and we'll get on to him in more depth later, Johnny Housen has a chance from the resulting corner. It's swung in. And from that point on, I think someone's trying to ring me. I'm not sure if it's Johnny Allison asking for more praise, to be honest. <laughs> um, but yes, it comes into the box. And Housen unmarked again, you know, as surprising as the Crooks one that he's unmarked in the Tottenham box. Heads wide. And again, you sort of slouch back on your chair in the stadium and think, we're going to regret missing all these chances, especially against the quality of Tottenham. But, you know, at that moment, I really felt, again, pessimistic, Chris. This just isn't going to be our day almost because we were creating so much, yet these brilliant chances that normally we'd probably take, we just can't quite get that final bit of contact and final bit of end product. And, you know, as he heads wide um, just before the end of the game, you kind of think, I don't think we are going to get many chances more that are of that nature against this Tottenham side. Of course, that proved to be wrong, but certainly a massive chance for Borough and one that Johnny Allison probably should have taken, to be honest. Yeah, it was another interesting chance, really. Um, the ball seems to just sail over all the men in the box there and Housen finds himself unmarked. And really, it was probably his his only fault all, all day, really. Johnny Allison, he was fantastic on the day. One of the best performances I've seen in the Middlesbrough shirt at the Riverside for so many years. Um, just flying into tackles, passing was completely on it all night. And really, that, that, that header was his only mistake all night, really. He should be burying it. And yeah, as a fan sat in the stand at the time, yeah, you do slouch in your chair and think that's another big chance there. We've had two or three now. 
and going into extra time, you're sort of expecting Tottenham's quality to shine through and, and then to, to get some chances. But just before that, they have that big chance with Son at the end of, of normal time. And you think that the game could be dead and buried then. Yeah, as you say, you know, of course, I think, especially under Chris Wilder and, and having watched this this Chris Wilder team for as many months as we have now, you know, we know, and then I think most Middlesbrough fans would feel confident if you put us up against anyone, we might, you know, only create one chance, but we'll at least fashion at least one great opening. And you, when you sort of miss the chances that we did during the night, you do start to think, well, is this going to be our day? And even more so as Kulosevsky runs down the right, cuts it back to Hyunmin Son. And, you know, we've seen in previous years the damage that Hyunmin Son can do, even at the Riverside. And it really is at that moment a sort of hold your breath and, and hope for the best type of moment because he's unmarked at the back post. It's dropping just perfectly onto his head. And I, do you know what? I think I actually closed my eyes because I was just thinking, yeah, this is going to be the moment and it'll be, that's that, dumped out the cup. Despite, you know, saying it was a, a bit of a free hit, it would have it, it would have really broken me had they scored so late on. <laughs> but fortunately, Jung Minson gets it all wrong, really, and just heads straight into Lumley's um, midriff. More of a shock again, you know, we spoke that Matt Crooks missed a header, but a player of, of Young Min Son's quality, that's a, another step up and a real surprise that he didn't put that one away, which was quite literally the last kick of the game, to be honest, wasn't it, the normal 90? Yeah, it was. Um, I think it was just written in the stars that it was going to it was gonna fall in the back of the net there. Um, Tottenham hadn't been at their best all night and they have a, a massive opportunity to, to win the game there with probably about 93 minutes on the clock. And yeah, it's fortunate for Middlesbrough that uh, Son just just heads it pretty much straight at Lumley rather than either side of him. Um, but yeah, Borough rode the luck at times, not as much not as much as at Old Trafford in the previous round. But yeah, we found ourselves in. In extra time once again, which is becoming a, a regular theme with Premier League sides in this competition. Yeah, it, it certainly does. And to be honest, I, I don't know how you feel about this, but you know, when it did uh, head towards extra time, you, you you know, you're in the sort of thick of it. You're in the the match atmosphere, especially in the stadium, and you know, you don't really think of it as well. I don't actually think, especially with Luton come up, uh, coming up at the at the weekend at that time. He sort of felt this is the last thing we need, another uh, half an hour in the legs of some of the players. You could see even towards the 90, um, some players really beginning to struggle, um, trying to put in as much as they could. But, you know, it was quite evident that a few of them just needed a rest and, and couldn't go on for the majority of extra time. So I expected Tottenham to really take a foothold and sort of pin us back in extra time. But actually, it was quite the opposite, wasn't it? Because immediately um, first half of extra time. Actually, I think early on Kulosevsky goes close, a um, bit of a speculative effort, left-footed, goes just past Lumley's post, but, you know, a, a good effort, but but certainly not a, a clear-cut chance by all means. And then all of a sudden something sort of changed and I, I don't know what it was, but <coughs> Boris just started getting so much joy down the right-hand side uh, as the chant goes. And 
we were just fashioning openings at will. Isaiah Jones, as much as I think we all hoped he, he may remain a secret, I think that was his moment uh, live on live on television where people really probably sat up and, and took notice because he just seemed to have the ball at all times during extra time, in, in that first half especially, and just be putting balls um, lofted into the box across the face of the front, um, the six-yard box of, of Tottenham's defence. And, you know, I, I felt as though in the first half of extra time, it was actually a matter of time before we took the lead, to be honest, and we never did, which was more of a surprise. Yeah, it was sort of like a typical league game in that first half of extra time there. Um, Borough being very attack-heavy down that right-hand side with Jones and his, and his pace and his, his ability to beat a man down that side, which he, he sort of grew into the game, Jones. Um, I thought in the first half of normal time, he struggled up against Sessegnon, and I think he probably realised that Sessegnon would give him a uh, a run for his money in a foot race uh, if Jones did try to knock it and run down the down the wing as he usually does um, and that, that sort of meant that he was coming inside a lot and just knocking the ball inside rather than looking to beat Sessignon on the outside but yeah, when uh, when he was taken off, that, that sort of just led to, led to Jones having a, a lot of joy down that side. We had a few chances, a few half chances in that first half of extra time but yeah, nothing fell for us, unfortunately, at that moment, apart from really that that Tavernier chance at the back post where he fires a shot pretty much straight at Lloris. And yeah, again, another big chance. And you're just hoping that one is about four for us in the last 15 minutes or so. Yeah, as you say, you know, you're hoping in the last 15 minutes a, a chance comes to us. But even, you know, as it approaches um, the second half of extra time, Again, following that first half of extra time, it was almost as though, you know, it, it felt like we were the Premier League side and, and the Championship side because they just continuously um, were under pressure from Borough's attacking line. And although we didn't manage to find that end product, it was you know, some of the best football I've actually seen us play under Wilder and, you know, there's plenty of games to pick from where we've been great going forward, but we were just fashioning chances whenever we felt like it, to be honest. And, you know, I, I was almost taken back by how well we were playing, you know, given I was saying a few players look to be, you know, really, you know, struggling. There was one moment in particular where Paddy McNair went down and sort of signalled towards the bench to say, well, Am I not meant to be coming off here? You know, as though he'd probably been told before going into extra time, you know, we'll get you off at some stage, but play, you know, 10 minutes and, and we'll make the change. He then gets up as Peltier gets uh, stripped and then Paddy McNair starts signal, actually, I don't want to come off. And it's that sort of attitude and, you know, constant pressure from players and, and, and this squad that we've, we've come to love that actually it sort of, you know, as as we progress into the second half of extra time, it, it just felt as though, even from my, and I feel like I've used the word pessimistic so much, to be honest, but when we were fashioning so many chances against a team of Tottenham's quality, it, it just wasn't typical Borough for us to continue then in the second half of extra time, putting them under pressure. And that's what we we did and eventually got the reward just before, obviously, we talk about the all-important moment. Um, 
the, the probably the biggest scare actually of the the second half of extra time. The ball's cut back to Son. He back heels it. You know, a really um, audacious back heel across the face of the goal, and somehow Joel Lumley sort of goes down. And I don't know if it's instinct or whether it's just you know a brilliant piece of goalkeeping, but his right arm finds its way behind his sort of torso and manages to sort of sweep the ball back from underneath him from what looked like it was going to be the opener and, and, and probably would have been the winner had Tottenham have taken the lead then. Yeah, it was a crazy, crazy save from Lumley. Um, Son has flicked the ball past him with, with that cute back heel finish. Um, one that we've seen Andras Sparrow score from at Blackpool earlier on in the season. And yeah, the ball's gone past Lumley and he's he stretched his right arm out and, and somehow gathered it back into his back into his uh, grasp. I think that was just before um going into the second half of extra time. And yeah, I think that would have been a real sucker punch that one. Um just just going into that last 15 minutes. Um, if Tottenham grabbed a goal, it would have sucked all the all the life out of Borough, I think. So, yeah, watching that from my seat, I was thinking, how on earth has he pulled that save out of the bag? Yeah, certainly me too, Nathan. But, um, you know, the moment we've all been waiting for. Um, I feel as though sometimes I've rambled throughout this podcast. I think it's from sheer excitement just to talk about this moment, to be honest. We get into the second half of extra time. As you say, we've had the scare of Son. And then, you know, as as the, uh, just going back a little bit, as uh, Bowler and Corbin come on, I, I said um, to the lad I was, I was sat next to at the game, I said, you know, there's two narratives here, especially in the FA Cup. You know, we've got Mark Bowler, ex-Arsenal, just come back from, a, you know, multiple months of injury. He might, you know, make his... Uh, name and headlights, but also Josh Coburn um, coming off the bench against the Premier League side, academy graduate, still a teenager. You know, there is potential for a real FA Cup sort of magic story. And it, it proved to be the, the second one, Nathan. Crooks, edge of the box, slides it through to Josh Coburn. He sort of takes a few touches gets close to the Tottenham goal and then in the words of Neil Madison wallops probably the most sweetest strike he's ever going to hit in his career probably has ever hit in his career to date past World Cup winning goalkeeper Hugo Lloris sends the Riverside into pandemonium runs off slides into the West Stand and to be honest at, at that moment it was you know, of course, we're of the age where we just missed out on on the European nights of the uh, of Borough's past, and you know some of the the ones that I'm, we're all aware of. But you know, unfortunately, we we weren't there um, as much as we would have loved to. But that goal felt like you know something that that would have been suited to one of those nights under the lights, and it, it was a night at the lights at the Riverside. But it was just. I, I'm struggling to find the words to describe it, Nathan. You take over because it was just that good, wasn't it? It was. It was just one of them moments that the FA Cup continues to throw up every single year. And yeah, it was a fantastic piece of play from Colburn himself, really, as well. Jones knocks the ball into him. 
Colburn sets in at Crooks, makes his run beyond the defender, and thankfully Emerson Royals in no man's land playing him on side, and yeah, Crook, uh, Colburn sets himself and thunders one in at the top corner in front of the north stand, and yeah, it from then on it was just sort of a blur. Could not believe it that we were about to do it again against a Premier League side. Yeah, a, a packed out Riverside was amazing to see as well. Um, every single seat in the ground full and a, a sold out away end from the, from the Premier League side, sent packing with nothing. And I don't want to sort of de- deflect it away from Borough, but how Spursy of, of Spurs to uh, to get knocked out to a championship side, Borough, but there's no taking it away from Borough, really. We were fantastic on the night and we didn't necessarily win it with a smash and grab either. We had chances to, to win the game. And as Chris Wilder said in his in his post-match press conference, he said, we deserve we deserve to to probably win it in, in normal time, really, with the chances that we had. But yeah, what a fantastic moment. Josh Coburn. I think there's now a debate for who's the best natural finisher at the football club with that finish. And yeah, the BBCT's commentary as well, as you referred to there from Neil Madison, I think he summed up every Borough's fan, every Borough fan's reaction to that goal, the big scream on the on commentary and yeah, wallop into the top corner. Yeah, it was um it was as I say, just quite quite frankly magical. It, it really was one of those FA Cup moments where you know, I think even those watching at home, everyone loves an underdog story. I'm sure some non-Middlesbrough um, supporters would have probably jumped up in the living room, to be honest, because it it was it was that special. Uh, and, and as you say, you know, young Josh Coburn. I think honestly, the the net probably needed some TLC after the game because the velocity that he's hit that shot. At, honest, I'd love. Do you remember them machines? when you were little, when you went to football tournaments and you could smash the ball into the back of the net and it'd tell you how quick the shot was going. I would absolutely, you know, pay money to see what, you know, miles per hour or speed <laughs> that ball was going up because genuinely, it had that net had not been put into the ground as strongly as what it had been, I'm pretty sure it would have just took the net with it because it was thunderous you can think of all the sort of words to describe it in the world but I think Neil Madison as you say probably summed it up best with Wallop because that's exactly what Josh Colburn did he did I think probably if the net wasn't there it probably would have demolished the crane that's just been demolished outside the riverside it probably had more luck at the first attempt as well but yeah a fantastic finish and he nearly took the net out as we say yeah, he did. Um, moving on from that moment, as as much as you know, I think, again, we could probably talk about it for the full podcast. But we do have the late chance uh, from Tottenham to talk about. Again, you know, and those that listen to last week's podcast, probably right now, who, who may or may not be fans of Joel, and we might be saying to me, well, haven't you made yourself look a bit of an idiot? Because, you know, I think we, we spoke an awful lot about Joe Lumley and, and some of the mistakes that he has made of, of late prior to the Tottenham game 
and you know I made the bold call of saying you know I think it was time for him to to drop out the side and perhaps for for someone else to have a chance but actually in fairness to him apart from that one rush of blood in the first half as much as Josh Corbin gets the the high um the highlights and you know the plaudits Joel only keeps us in the game and he did so almost last kick of the game again near post corner and I thought Eric Dyer in fairness from every attacking corner that Tottenham had I think he made first contact on probably 70% of them wins the initial header I think Crooks gets his feet uh, muddled up a little bit it deflects off him goes down to Lumley's left and in fairness he's down incredibly quick flicks it past the post and it's a, a really amazing save in fairness so you know I've got a hat on today. I take my hat off to you. I'm not going to take my hat off because my hair's appalling. <laughs> but Joel Lumley, I take metaphorically my hat off to you because two remarkable saves in that cup tie, uh, keeping us in the game. I mean, what a save it was, Nathan. Yeah, it was. At the time, I don't think I gave it quite as much um, sort of reaction as it probably deserved. I thought that it was just pretty routine, say, but upon upon um, watching replays, really, the deflection off Crooks sort of sends the sends the path of the ball um, out of the way of, of where Lumley's actually diving, and he does incredibly well to sort of adjust himself and, and get that left hand down to palm it away. It was a, another important save, and yeah, it was... Quite strange, really, that Tottenham, apart from that chance very, very late, didn't really react all too well to it, to going down 1-0, really. Um, they didn't really carve too many chances out, um, whether that's because of Boris changes, Peltier and, and Sol Bamba being on the picture in that second half of extra time as well sort of shoring up Borough's defence a little bit, but they were kept very quiet and I think desperation sort of called for them when they were bringing 17-year-old Dane Scarlett on off the bench, which I thought really they, they probably could have done without that and were sort of hoping for a Josh, Josh Coburn moment themselves with that substitution. But yeah, a fantastic save from Lumley. Borough just trying to see the game out, weren't we really? And we did have another chance to do so with with the break, Crooks playing it to Balogun. And I thought he did quite well, really. Uh, throws in a step over and goes left, fires a ball across the face of goal. And you're just hoping that Coburn's leg makes contact with the ball. The slightest little stud would have done enough to, to put that one in the back of the net at the north stand and seal seal the win but it just goes narrowly wide and from then on really you thought that Tottenham if they were really going to throw the full kitchen sink at it they could have got something but we did we did well uh some resolute defending and a big clearance from Sol Bamba sort of seals the game and yeah pandemonium at the riverside yeah, it was, um, as you say, almost a bit surprising again for me that, as you say, you know, we, we go 1-0 up and actually Lumley, of course, produces a, a brilliant save. But apart from that, Tottenham didn't really fashion 
anything else as soon as they went one behind. And, you know, as you say, it almost seemed a little bit desperate, you know, bringing on Dane Scarlett, I'm, I'm sure. You know, he's highly rated in, in the Tottenham Academy. But from the players that they had on the pitch, the quality that they had on there, it was... I think, you know, if I'm looking at this from a, a Spurs perspective and, and given, you know, as you say, their troubles of not winning a trophy... They, I would have been fuming, to be honest, because they didn't really put up much of a fight at all, um, which was, you know, shocking, really, because, you know, you've got Kane, you've got Son, um, even in terms of physical threats from set pieces, Dyer, as we say, who goes closest. And, yeah, they, they just didn't really manage to fashion anything. And, of course, brilliant for us, but... You know, if you look, if you sort of take your um, Borag goggles off and, and take a seat in the in Spurs end or position yourself there, I would have been coming away from the game absolutely furious, to be honest with you. Of course, with the result, but more so with the the amount that they committed towards, um, you know, the, the end of the game, which, of course, wasn't enough. And as you say, wasn't enough to get back in the game. And if that meant those wonderful scenes at full time. I think before we get into the the real full-time scenes, we've got to talk individuals because, you know, I'd, in terms of match ratings, if you want to go one to ten, I don't think you can give below a seven to anyone, any of the subs, anything like that. But there were certain standouts, as there always is. Nathan, I'm sure, will probably come up with the first uh, one, both at the same time. But, you know, Johnny House and... Let's just talk about him. 30, 33 is he now, Nathan? And it, the man just has sort of unlimited capacity to run around the pitch. Every time he sort of senses danger, he wins the ball back. His Even, you know, sometimes, and I remember a podcast quite um, clearly, I think it was after we'd been beaten by Hull, and we spoke about the midfield and, and spoke about House and the fact that actually a lot of the time under Warnock, he just didn't look comfortable at all receiving the ball on the half term. And, you know, it's never been a question of Housen's work rate, certainly not. But under Chris Wilder, he seems to have just gone to a complete different level and, you know, his passing, his distribution, but his work off the ball is just marvellous, really. It was, of course, again... Coburn gets the headlines, but Housen for me was on another level against Tottenham. And if you know you had no sort of idea of ages and, and the way football had worked, and you sort of just watched the match as a neutral, and someone said, "Yeah, Man City bid hundred million for one of the players on this pitch in the summer," who is it? I think most people would have pointed towards Johnny Housen, to be honest. Yeah, he was a class above on the night. The man of the match by. A million miles, really. Just fantastic, brilliant at firefighting, really. Getting round all over the pitch, winning tackles, passing the ball confidently, breaking up play. Just absolute star-studded performance from Johnny Housen. Um, a proper captain's performance in the FA Cup. And really looking at Spurs midfield, with with Hoiberg and Winks in there, I don't think Johnny Housen would have looked out of place 
playing for Tottenham Hotspur with, with, with Kane and Son and the names that they have there. Um, I thought Johnny Allison pretty much showed Pierre-Emile Hoiberg how to play that position, really. Um, he, was, he was that good. And most importantly, it was good to see him back in his usual, usual position after being moved out of it at Barnsley the previous game. He looked so out of place uh, on that Saturday at Oakwell, sort of just playing in a complete different position to, to what he usually plays in, which was strange at the time, given how good he is in there at breaking up play and just keeping things simple. But yeah, we, we've we've just seemed to have everyone falling back into place at the right time now with Crooks back um, along, alongside Housen and Tavernier in there. And that midfield three, I think, is, is going to be difficult for anyone to dislodge a place in there. Yeah. And, you know, we, we speak about individuals. Um, we, we've spoken about Lumley. Um, Housen, for me, was man of the match. But again, a, a special mention to one more individual. Um Harry Kane, Son, you know, I think just um, before the FA Cup tie, they'd become the officially the most deadliest duo in the Premier League ever um, in terms of providing goals and scoring goals between the two of them. And Dale Fry made it look as though he just sort of swamped on to a five-a-side with his work pals and just kept the pair of them in his pocket, to be honest, because... Harry Kane really didn't have a sniff at all, if I'm honest. Um, of course, Son picked up some positions wider, which, you know, isn't Dale Fry's uh, role. But in terms of, you know, dealing with Harry Kane as the centre forward, I thought Dale Fry was just typical Dale Fry, really. He doesn't seem to be phased by any occasion, like he did with Ronaldo. Took him out the game and, yeah. Same thing again, just takes Harry Kane out of the game altogether. Don't think he missed a header all game. Takes a whack on the face in the first half. Looks slightly concussed, but just carries on. And again, you know, if you're a Premier League side watching that, for me, you know, of course, we're a little bit biased, but we're allowed to be. I look at Dale Fry and think, how is how is that lad not playing in the Premier League? How has no Premier League side took a chance on him? Um, because in terms of being a traditional defender, doing his job and keeping the ball out of the goal, for me, he's got to be up there with the best in our league. And, and certainly, to be honest, I don't think he'd look out of place at all if he did make that step up to the Premier League. He's a Premier League player in, in waiting, really. He's a Premier League player playing in the Championship right now. What a defender, really. Um, wins headers, wins his battles in terms of uh, physically. Can step out with the ball, can pick a pass, both short into midfield or long, looking with, with Jones's runs around the back of defences. He's just absolutely brilliant, uh, Dale Fry. And... He's going to have to make some room in his pockets because we've still got plenty of games left in the season and Ronaldo and Kane are taking up a bit too much room in there, I think. Yeah, they, they certainly are. It goes back to that old uh, Lee Tomlin tweet, doesn't it? I think um, 
you know, Dale's washing machine now is, you know, as you say, Kane's stuck in there, Ronaldo, and, you know, we'll wait and see. I don't want to put any curses on anyone, but certainly there's a few Chelsea forwards that I think Dale can just about squeeze them into. So, <laughs> yeah, I mean, moving on to, uh, you know, Chelsea, as we say there, sort of let the cat out the bag if you weren't aware. Um, of course, you will be aware by now. Chelsea in the next round. A home tie again, Nathan. Of course, probably not the tie, you know, in terms of progression in the competition that looks the easiest on paper. But certainly, you look at Man United, you look at Tottenham. We've we've done them both. Are you looking at that home tie that we're aside against Chelsea, thinking there's no reason why we can't do it again? It's going to be a very interesting test. I think looking at the teams that were in the draw for, for the last eight. Of course, us, you look at, of course, City and Liverpool, you want to avoid them at the minute. Um, you're probably going to play them eventually if you go deep into the competition. Those two are arguably the best two teams in the entire world, really. But if you're going off Champions League winners and Club World Cup winners, that's Chelsea Football Club. And I think they are sort of in that gap in the Premier League below City and Liverpool just sort of on a on a pedestal of their own really um, it's going to be a fantastic fantastic afternoon slash evening slash night at the Riverside because we don't know what it is yet but yeah the Riverside's going to be packed out once again um, Chelsea are going to pose a, an incredible test they always do when they come at the Riverside they're usually formidable in this competition. And yeah, why, why not? Let's just have a go at them. It's going to be a, a very difficult test, but we've knocked out the mighty Mansfield Town, Manchester United and Tottenham so far. So let's just, let's just see what we can do. I think really it's going to help us out this tie. Um, the, the, the running in the championships, just unbelievable, really, with Saturday, Tuesday games. And I think with an FA Cup tie thrown in there, it sort of just relieves the pressure of that run a little bit. You can sort of just take the shackles off. The pressure's not on us at all, again, like it hasn't been in the last two FA Cup ties now. Let's just see what we can do. It's, a, it's again, it's a free hit. We're in the quarterfinal of the FA Cup against the European champions, just let's see what we can do. Yes, yeah, certainly. And, you know, as you say about Chelsea, we still don't know when the, when the kickoff will be or, or what date. But for me, you know, we all had our opinions on who we'd like in the next round. I'm already eyeing up that Monday night spot. Um, under the lights again, I think it would be, um, you know, of course, any occasion Chelsea at the other side in the quarterfinals of the FA Cup is going to be some occasion. But another thought of, you know, a night under the light at the Riverside really gets me going, to be honest. <laughs> yeah, it, it is going to pause a fantastic occasion once again. I'm glad it's a home tie, if I'm honest. Uh, I didn't fancy a, a trip to Stamford Bridge. We, of course, don't, just don't really want to be going to grounds like that in London where we're not all too great with our record but yeah uh, 
a big trip up north for Chelsea. I hope it's raining and horrible and there's a storm coming as well because they probably won't like it too much up here. And yeah, hopefully, well, I'm saying hopefully, I think they'll probably play their full full strength side like we've seen from Manchester United and from and from Tottenham in the last two rounds. So hopefully, hopefully, not to jinx it, Dale finds some more room for a, a certain Romelu Lukaku in his pocket. Yeah, um, and just on the, the FA Cup run, you know, I think no one expected us to get this far in the competition, especially given the opposition. But it is quite ironic that actually, out of the three games we've played, you could argue that Mansfield have actually given us the most difficult game. <laughs> yeah, it is funny, isn't it, how things work? But yeah, it's it's been an incredible run and what a fantastic sort of few nights we've had under Chris Wilder so far. The man's only been in charge since November and we've had a victory at Old Trafford, a victory against Tottenham Hotspur under the lights. We've had plenty of last minute winners. You look at Blackpool and Reading. Yeah, it, how we've got Chris Wilder in charge of this football club is, is absolutely fantastic, to be fair. It just goes to show that Really, the, the work of some clubs is, I think, Newcastle at the time, although they are going well well now, they were looking at Eddie Howe and Chris Wilder's name wasn't mentioned, but Chris Wilder could have done a fantastic job at like a place like Newcastle or, or Everton. And yeah, I think plenty of Premier League sides will be sort of looking at, looking at Borough's appointment at Wilder thinking, why didn't we look at him sooner? Yeah, I think there will be a lot, as you say, of, of Premier League chief executives and, and chairmen probably kicking themselves now, to be honest. Um, I know Watford like changing the manager plenty, you know, one club again who would right now, I'm sure, snap your hand off for Chris Wilder. And, you know, the list goes on, to be honest. And I think the team that I really feel the most for, West Brom, had Wilder in the palm of the hands and somehow managed to let him slip away. Uh, you know, West Brom, uh, I think they won it the weekend, didn't the first win under uh, Steve Bruce, but they've, they've got to be kicking themselves. As a West Brom fan, I, I think I'd be, you know, really losing the plot, given that that, you know, the out there, how close he was to taking the job, you know, looking at the way things are going at Middlesbrough at the moment. Um, we've spoken about the FA Cup, we've spoken about the draw for the next round. Although that sort of hysteria took over for the rest of the week, actually, I think we both said last week in the podcast that yesterday's game, uh, Luton Town in the Championship, was probably the bigger game out of the two, which seems ridiculous, to be honest. But in terms of the importance of you know our, our challenges to get into the playoffs, Luton, off the back of a, a tremendous run, had leapfrogged um, Borough in the table going into the game. And we're coming to the Riverside, actually, and probably not fearing um, the record that Borough have, have built up at, at home as of late, um, despite seeing what we did against Tottenham, because, you know, we should mention they took Chelsea right to the wire um, the night after in the FA Cup. So that, that certainly would have, you know, added a little bit more had they have managed to um, had another, uh, had another giant in, in the competition um, this year. But Nathan, back down to work with a championship game. 
in terms of the team, I almost expected unchanged. Possibly, you know, looking back actually myself, it, it didn't make much sense having that mindset because given how much uh, the forwards and, and the rest of the team had given against Tottenham, there was always going to be a couple of changes. And there was those changes. Um, and as you said earlier in the podcast, in the forward line, Balogun and Connolly back into the team. A little bit of a surprise or something you felt was probably always going to be on the cards? I think that the only <coughs> surprise really with, with the forward pairing is we saw them play with each other against West Brom and against Bristol City. And particularly in that first half against West Brom, it wasn't really working um, with, with those two there. I think me and you identified that possibly a more experienced head, one of what more and Sparrow could have partnered either Balogun or Connolly just to provide that experience next to them and, and sort of hold it up and, and bring others into play as well. But yeah, the two, the two young lads on loan from the Premier League club started once again. And I think they were going to be brought in to, to sort of stretch Luton, really, uh, play balls in behind and get joy by doing that. But, yeah, as we've said with, with the forwards, really, that on this run until the end, from now till the end of the season, it's going to be very much heavily rotated, the forward line in particular, with Saturday, Tuesday, every single week and yeah, uh, uh, 120 minutes against against Tottenham in midweek meant that changes were probably due. And of course, Connolly wasn't in the in the actual match day squad for for the cup game, which I thought was quite strange. I think he did have a, a he failed a late fitness test, I think, in midweek. But yeah, he was back up to fitness for for this game. And yeah, I thought it was a, a fair enough opportunity to give to the two forwards. Yeah, I think fair enough was was probably the right way to look at it, but certainly slightly surprising, as you say, you know, given the previous games where those two have started together and, and really failed to make um, an impact as a pair in, you know, those <coughs> individual moments. But as you say, um, they haven't looked all too convincing. Um, so certainly a little bit of surprise in that sense. Um, in terms of the impact that uh, one of those two made, almost immediate in the Luton game. Um, first real opening of the game and Balogun wins himself uh, a penalty. Looking back, I think a fair decision really, to be honest, Nathan. Yeah, um, good ball in from Jones. Balogun gets it under control and flicks it away from the defender who sort of just flicks himself at Balogun. I did think at the time it was soft, but upon seeing the replay, I do think it probably was a penalty. Um, but later, just sort of skipping on slightly, there was a, a moment slightly later on in the game um, from the other side, really, that Balogun picked the ball up, moved inside onto his right foot and there was a flick. And I thought that that one was probably more of a penalty than the actual one. And that one wasn't given. But... Yeah, the, it's this is just how it is with some championship referees, but we we get that penalty and yeah, McNair steps up. I think had Sparrow been on the pitch, he'd have probably taken it. 
Um, I think he's probably the designated penalty taker at the football club. But yeah, Paddy gets it and just calmly slots it in that far corner, really, without any real pressure. Just calmly passes it into the corner and sort of set Borough on our way. Yeah, almost... um... You know, it, it sounds ridiculous, really, given, you know, the, the sort of nature of the game and how important it was. But actually, so composed, relaxed from McNair. Um, normally, um, penalties previously from him, he sort of hits with some venom. Um, but as you say, just rolls it into the far corner and, and, and sort of goes away and celebrates. No Paddy McNair knee slide, which was a shame. Um, <laughs> but actually... In terms of, of the whole game, we took the lead and not so much Middlesbrough um, in the way we performed, but in terms of just the general game and, and first half, actually, you know, I, I expected more from the game, to be honest, especially given Luton's um, position in the table going into the game, the form that they'd been in. And, you know, I know we spoke about last podcast that Luton have a, a set of strikers where all of them are pretty much over the six-foot mark, I think. They're a physical side. But I didn't expect them to be that much of a physical side where actually, you know, all they looked to do was just hit Adebayo and, and Hilton or uh, even Cornick when he come on and sort of play off second balls, really, which was somewhat of a surprise. Um, Cameron Jerome also, of course, uh, started the game and, you know, he's... He's uh, not exactly the small uh, and nippy type of forward, is he? Um, especially these days. Speaking of Jerome, uh, quite the incident in the first half. Dyke stealing him, running at each other for a 50-50. And I've got to say, during the game, I actually missed this. I briefly turned around for a second, looked back, and Dyke Steele's rolling around on the floor. Of course, I've seen the incident back now. But... You know, I'll ask you your opinions. Potentially a red card there for Cameron Jerome because he's certainly high. You know, we saw a similar one um, in the Carabao Cup final, uh, Chalabar and, and Naby Keita, and of course that wasn't given. But what was your verdict on that? Because it, it did look incredibly high, didn't it? He's just got to go, really, plain and simple. I don't know how you can get away with it, if I'm honest. He's high. In fact, I actually thought it was high than it actually uh, was on the replay. I thought it was more in his stomach, sort of midriff area. But studs up into Dyke Steele's unfortunate area, really. Um, no one wants to see that or feel that. I think that's fair to say. And, yeah, I, I don't know how Cameron Jerome's got away with it, if I'm honest. Um He's lucky to get away with the yellow card. Um, but they were a strange side, Lou, and of course, physical players, as you say, but didn't offer a whole lot in the game, really. Uh, Jerome did have a chance in the first half that he got onto, got onto a cross and, and just sort of hit a shot at Lumley, which was their best effort of the first half, but they didn't offer a whole lot. Um, I felt that they were quite dirty at times um, looking at that incident um, in the first half there. Jerome should be sent off. Um, I think 
looking at moments when Borough were trying to break, they were quite happy to dive on the floor and pretend that they had head injuries. One, one, one Alan Campbell did, but Jerome went down as well, just play acting, trying to get the game stopped and stop a counter, which is just plain cheating, really. And going at the game, Luton had won five out of the last seven away fixtures. And from their performance yesterday, I can't really say how they've done that, if I'm honest. They didn't offer much at all. Um, but yeah, a, a strange side and a strange game, really. It didn't feel like a game that had a lot riding on it, although it really did. It was a very strange first half and second half and full sort of 90-minute period. Yeah, you know, I, I completely agree with you. And, you know, if you were in the stadium on Saturday, which, of course, um, myself and, and you both were, Nathan, it it almost felt as though, and you know, certainly it would not be the case. We're not seeing that in the slightest. It almost felt like there was such a elation and a, a rocking Riverside on uh, against Tottenham. It almost felt, you know, everyone was sort of, and I don't want to put, I don't want to put this in a way that sounds disrespectful to to the crowd or the players because I'm certainly not. You know, we done our jobs and it was a massive game. <laughs> But it almost felt like everyone was sort of just coming off the back of off, uh, the Tottenham game, just thinking, we just need to get this one done and, and sort of get it out of the way. Whilst actually, you know, it, I think possibly because of the way that Luton played, it, it maybe has dragged us down to their level at times, perhaps. But, you know, in a, in a way where I would praise Middlesbrough and Chris Wilder's side, we dealt with their gamesmanship, you know. And perhaps that's why they've done so well because, you know, they certainly look like a team, as you say, they are willing to do things, whether you agree with it or not, that, you know, change games, um, the physical, um, they're, they're happy to go down, they're happy to, you know, make things difficult. And, you know, they've obviously seen success from that. But as you say, it sort of, it was a, a strange atmosphere and a, a strange game, Um really but the main thing was the result and of, of course we did manage that um going into the second half uh Joe Lumley again of course the talk of the, the Tottenham game makes two great staves gotta give him credit again Joe Lumley if you're watching or listening I'm tipping my uh cap to you um but again as stated previously the, the cap isn't actually coming off because the hair's a disgrace um but yeah, initially um, from a header, and then um, sorry, I've got that the wrong wrong way around. Um, poor from me, but Nathan, as the consummate professional I am, we will forget that's happened and go again. <laughs> initially, uh, Adebayo has an effort, which Lumley almost sort of Superman dives and and saves somehow. I think he hurts his wrist in the process. Um, and then from the resulting corner from that chance, Cameron Jerome has a header, which Lumley gets down well and saves with his feet. Two big saves when really, you know, you felt if Luton got back into the game at that stage, it, of course, stating the obvious, it would have become a much, much, much more difficult um, game. And perhaps, you know, Luton might have taken from that, um, you know, the confidence to, to put Borough under a little bit more pressure and, and sort of, 
get more balls in towards their their forward line and put us under some more pressure. Yeah, it was a very cagey sort of sort of game th- throughout, and they get two chances um, in the space of a minute. Really, uh, the ball falls to Adebayo, and <clears throat> he hits an effort at Lumley, and then gets the rebound, and then the Superman Superman dive from Lumley earns him a corner, two fantastic saves there. And then again, the ball comes in from the corner and Jerome rises highest at the back post, tries to nod it across goal and Lumley again, another fantastic save. You've got to give him his due. He's been fantastic this week and kept us in in both games really with his saves. Um, Yeah, it was always going to be a difficult test against Luton. I thought they would have offered more, but that wasn't to be. Um, I felt that really one more would have sealed the game, and it did. Uh, fantastic ball down the side from Johnny Elson. And what more has come on and is chasing it down that side, down that right-hand side, and tries to send a ball across the box, but defender blocks it. Watmore again, takes the touch around the defender and fires one with his left foot in the near post uh, past Alex Palmer. And it was, again, a sigh of relief for, for that goal going in, I think. At 1-0, it's always, it's always sort of dangerous, um, even though Luton were sort of quiet after the chances that they had anything could happen in football can't it they could just come up the other end and, and, and have another chance and, and get that goal and it changes the complexion of the game on its head and yeah it was important to get that second goal and again a good finish from what more composed fires it in that near post and it did feel like the game was going to be dead and buried by then um, I felt that just prior to our second actually uh, Henry Lansbury was quite lucky uh, to still be on the pitch. Um, Jones on the breakaway, flying down that right-hand side, as he usually does, knocks the ball past Lansbury. Lansbury, not even trying to win the ball, flies in from the side, brings down Jones. No attempt to play the ball whatsoever. Always just bringing him down. And I think it needs looking at from referees particularly that it's it's not just taking one for the team when you just kick someone like that. Taking one for the team's pulling someone back by the shirt or giving them a slight trip, not flying into them and giving them a serious possibility of injuring them, really flying in from the side. Of course, it's a booking, but... It's, it's so frustrating to watch. It used to be the same with Adama Traore at Middlesbrough when he was flying forward and, and players would just kick him in, instead of instead of actually just trying to grab all of him and bring him down. I suppose with Traore, it was it was always going to be a bit difficult to bring him down just by, dra- uh, just by dragging him back. But, yeah, Lansbury lucky. I don't know what you what you think about that, Chris. Yeah, no, I I agree. Um, I think, of course, you know, for those that have, have seen, you know, countless football 
um, matches, you know, it, it happens almost once every week, doesn't it? If um, if a player's breaking away, the, there is that sort of cynical side of things. And I should firstly apologise for keeping on sniffing. I think I've got some sort of sneeze just waiting to come out. But yeah, I apologise for that for both visual and uh, listeners of the podcast. But as I continue, um, yeah, it is, it's difficult because, you know, I, I look back at it and I think those that might not understand football and, and watch it regularly, you look back at that incident where Chiellini sort of pulls back Saka in the Euros final and a lot was made out of that, that, you know, oh, well, how could he not be sent off for that? He's dragged him back. And it, it, it's just, it is cynical. But as you say, I think it's probably a little bit more than cynical uh, Lansbury's challenge. You know, he, of course he's bringing Jones down, but there's probably, you could argue, excessive force uh, in the tackle. And yeah, certainly, of course, the rules, the way they are at the moment, I don't think, you know, he could have been sent off for it, but certainly it might be something that, that should be looked at. And as you say, with Triori, it seems as though, if you are fast and sort of can skip by people, which, you know, Jones can do, it's almost as though they sort of don't get um, the decisions which, you know, a slower or less physical player might do just because, oh, well, you know, they're fast and you've kind of got to do your best to get hold of him. So if you do sort of foul him, we'll, we'll kind of let you off type of thing, which shouldn't be the case. But I, c- I can see definitely the point that you make there um, on Lansbury and, yeah, I think, you know, there was certainly a decision to be made. In terms of the, the Watmore goal, again, um, you know, typical Watmore, chasing things down, does incredibly well. Because initially, I think um, Burke gets there, doesn't he? And then Watmore sort of wins the 50-50, comes inside and, and finishes very well, especially on his weak foot near post, um, which I was impressed with. And as you say, as soon as it went to, I never really felt, to be honest, like Luton had any chance at all. Um, of course, they did manage to pull one back. Dale Fry again, who I thought was excellent, probably makes his first mistake in a number of games, just lets Adebayo get on the wrong side of him, turns him and cuts it across for Harry Cornick to prod in. But even again, similar to Spurs, once they'd got one back, despite, you know, the the feelings of typical Borough and the immediate sort of as they're jogging back to the centre circle with the ball, you think, oh, please, no. They didn't really threaten at all after they'd scored. Um, And, you know, one thing I was happy with from our side is we had chances, again, um, when the ball broke on the counter to maybe, you know, try and pick a pass out, but instead just opted hold the ball in the corner. It's little things like that that, that do win you important games. Um, and we did that and managed to keep the ball in the corner, managed to see out the time and a massive three points. But as we say, a strange game because so much was riding on it, but it, it didn't really feel like that. But in terms of feeling, you know, what's feeling when you need three points in the Skybet Championship, it doesn't really matter how or what fashion it comes in as long as you get those. And, and that's exactly what we did. And of course, that result meant we we uh, frogs Luton in the table, Nathan. Yeah, it was a massive three points on a day where pretty much every result went in Borough's favour as well. You look at Blackburn, QPR, Sheffield United and Forest drew with each other. Coventry got beat as well as Blackburn and QPR. 
course, Luton were a direct rival that we that we were playing. They, of course, got beat playing against us. Yeah, every result was was pretty much in, in Borough's favour, which is fantastic. Um, but Chris Wilder reiterated in his post, post-match press conference how, how big of a three points that was. And I think it sort of proved how much he felt um, those three points were, uh, how big they were with the way he just sort of let the team uh, do the usual clap around the pitch and then he came out by himself and clapped the, the riverside off and as he got to the tunnel uh, a lot of people had gone and they turned down the um, the, the uh, sound system at the riverside and you just heard him scream come on uh, and get in there which was fantastic to hear um, yeah he's He's fantastic. Fantastic three points. An important three points in a game. Again, as as we say, had a lot riding on it, but didn't feel quite as 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 big as it probably was. Um, but yeah, we, we've got a big big week coming up. Yeah, certainly. I'm glad you mentioned that as well. That little wilder moment because uh, I didn't catch that myself. So yeah, it's nice to to hear those sorts of things Um, especially from Chris Wilder who now is probably the most favoured man on Teesside I think it would be fair to say Um, and just an added note of how lucky are we to have that man in charge of our football club because you know we've already spoken about it so I don't think we need to sort of delve back into it and you know sway away from it but it's almost every game even in the defeats and the way he speaks and conducts himself you just sort of think thank god it was us that that made the decision and you know you've got to credit Kieran Scott and the club for for making the decision when they did um on Warnock because you know you look at some of the other teams around us West Brom sat the manager Norwich you know of course opted for Dean Smith but as you say there was opportunities for Wilder to go elsewhere. And fortunately, we got in there at the right time and, and snatched him. And, you know, of course, we are reaping the rewards for that at the moment. So just uh, more praise for Chris Wilder. Um, not that he, he likes to hear it, though, of course. We know he's not one for individual praise, but uh, certainly I think <laughs> we are more than, um, more than justified to give him that little bit of praise there. Uh, Nathan, as you say, a huge, huge week coming up in terms of uh, opposition, both, of course, away, you know, um, under Wilder, we've been excellent at home, haven't been all too convincing away from home. But firstly, Tuesday night, Sheffield United away. What's more worrying is I will be attending and those that have listened (laughs) to the podcast know my record so far this season and to be not just this season it stretches longer but especially this season I haven't even seen a score a goal yet um on the severity and you know of the game and, and what Sheffield United possess not just in league standings but in terms of personnel I mean this is going to be as tough as a opponent as we play from now until the end of the season isn't it it is 100% um and of course, not forgetting it's Chris Wilder's old club, his hometown club at Bramall Lane, that he made a fortress when he was manager there as well. Had 
fantastic successes at Sheffield United, dragging them from League One mediocrity in the middle of the table to, to the Premier League and on the verge of Europe in that season just before COVID. Um, but, yeah, it's a massive game. Sheffield United in seventh place, Borough in sixth. Before um, their game on Friday night against Nottingham Forest, Sheffield United hadn't conceded a goal at Bramall Lane since mid-November, which is absolutely ridiculous and an unbelievable stat. Um, but they were hit with a sucker punch on Friday night, 95th minute equaliser from Forest, And looking at the scenes at Bramall Lane uh, on Sky Sports on Friday evening, you could see Billy Sharp, the club captain, despairing on the bench and hopefully this plays in a Boris favour. I was thinking that hopefully this was a big sucker punch and takes a lot of life out of them. Um, On the night against Forest, I didn't think that Sheffield United were really the better side. I think that they can be got at, really. And they have got a few players out injured currently with Jaden Bogle, who usually plays right right wing back there. Ender Stevens on the opposite side, both out injured at the moment. Um, Charlie Good at centre-half, I think he's suspended. Still going into this game, David McGoldrick, who's been uh, a mainstay in Sheffield United side for many a year now, He's out injured as well. So, yeah, it's it's going to be a very difficult game at a ground where I've been once and seen us lose once in a big game. And I've just, we've, I think we've all just got to go there brimming with confidence after the week we've had. And hopefully we're, we're not really feeling uh, the disadvantages of having to play um, Having to play two hundred odd minutes in the last in the last week or so, so yeah, it's going to be a, a fantastic game at Bramall Lane. Two sides that are probably on paper two of the best sides in the division going head to head, and yeah, it's going to be a, a a very very good evening and game of football to watch, especially with a packed out away end. Yeah, as you say, you know, two of the the teams that I think anyone. And knows the Skybet Championship look at currently and, and and think, you know, two of the best sides and also two of the form sides, you know, that uh, the form table doesn't lie at the moment. In terms of the individual threats that they possess, you mentioned him uh, on the Sky cameras looking a little bit despaired uh, as he watched his team concede later on. But Billy Shaw, I think if you've watched Championship, uh, champ, damn me, Nathan, I can't am. I don't know if that's the the thought of another championship striker of, you know, the ilk of Martin Wyghorn terrifying me and and forcing me not to get my words out. But what I was going to say, Billy Sharp, I think if you've watched championship football for, you know, any amount of time, you are aware of his goal-scoring abilities, 14 goals in the league and seven assists this season. It seems to be one of those where whatever age he'll be at, he will score goals wherever you put him. And that's exactly what he's doing at the moment. He's, of course, captain as well. And Morgan Gibbs-White, who I think actually you can look at him and think possibly is Premier League standard, of course, on loan from Wolves. Seven goals and six to uh, six assists. You know, 
both real, real threats, especially in the championship and something that Borough will have to keep a, a close eye on because, you know, they combined, I think, for the goal on, on Friday night. And, and as I've said, you know, we talk about the Andy Carrolls of the world, the Martin Wycorns, Billy Sharp is, you know, in that category of someone that is just always, always dangerous when you play against them in the championship. He is. I think if you look over the years in the division at centre forwards in this in the in the championship, Billy Sharp's the standout of of a player that will consistently score twenty plus goals in this division every time he's in it. Uh, he's the, I think he's actually the record scorer in in a championship goal scoring history now um, for his record, which. It is, it is well over 100, I'm sure it is. So, always dangerous, as you say. It seems like he's, he's never aged. He's been around for many a year now, playing for loads of clubs, Doncaster, Southampton, Leeds, Forest, and now Sheffield United. And Yeah, he, he doesn't, I'm not going to jinx it, but he doesn't mind a, a goal against Middlesbrough either. So, yeah, hopefully, as we say, with Dale... Hopefully he's got some room in in uh, in his pockets, and hopefully Sharp's in for a quiet night. Yes, fingers crossed. And of course, you know, let's hope the curse of the Barotless podcast preview does not strike again. <laughs> crossing everything we can, and I mean everything that that doesn't come into play and uh, and ruin our night on Tuesday night and hopefully the curse of my away trips this season can also end. Uh, moving on from, from Tuesday night, of course, again, it doesn't get any easier. Another away trip to the Den, um, Millwall. I think, you know, again, I speak about anyone that's watched championship football, anyone that knows football at all knows that going to the Den is never easy. Um and, you know, it's going to be a difficult game again, typically of um, Millwall. They play two strikers, um, physical threats. Um, looking back, even at, at Chris Wilder's first game in charge, you know, they took a point off Middlesbrough. Of course, we've come a long way since then. And, and so have Millwall, in fairness. But a, a really difficult game, it looks to be. And, of course, the usual suspects, uh, Benneke Fobe, uh, Jed Wallace as well, two championship um, goal scorers and, and real top talents, to be honest, in this division. Yeah, of course, a four-base guard at the Riverside earlier on in the season, although it did take about 25 deflections on its way in and probably was the most undeserved goal I've ever seen in my life, especially with Mason Bennett punching McNair in the face in the build-up to it. But, yeah... They are on some fantastic form on Millwall and really in this championship promotion slash playoff race, they've come from absolutely nowhere. <laughs> they're now three points behind Borough um, and they're on an incredible run of form. I think they probably are the form side in the division now. Um, of course, winning away at Reading on Saturday just gone 1-0, another clean sheet. They beat Sheffield United as well on this run. They've won the last five, which, yeah, it's 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 a good run for them. And they've, they've found themselves in the mix. It, it feels like every single year in the Championship, at this time of year, 
there's going to be a, a random side that goes on a run of games where they just keep winning and they find themselves somewhere amongst that top six, which is the nature of the division, unfortunately. And going, going to the den, it's it's never an easy task, is it? We've We've sort of been there in the last few years and had mixed mixed results a few a few wins on, under Karanka a few years ago we've nicked points I remember on the opening day of the season a few years ago under under Tony Pulis Martin Braithwaite and George Friend scored in stoppage time snap us a point um, and of course some some old faces there as well with, with George Savile in midfield for them but yeah Sheffield United and, and Millwall away in the same week is up there with one of the most difficult sort of away trips back to back that you can probably have in the championship. Sheffield United, Bramall Lane, incredibly difficult place to go at the best of times, especially now when Sheffield United are fit and firing and up there fighting for promotion. And the same with Millwall, the Den. It's a difficult place for anyone. And yeah, th- that crowd down there, I think if you can, if Borough can sort of play our way in the opening stages of, of, of that game, the fans will get on Millwall's back quite quickly. And that could play into our hands, hopefully. So we need to start quickly in both games. None of this um, first half at Barnsley sort of sort of performance that we saw where everything was sloppy we need to be on the front foot and need to be fit and firing and, re- and ready and raring to go for these these next two and well three if you look even further which is another away game three away games on the spins unbelievable but yeah a very very difficult week and hopefully Borough can come out pretty much unscathed yeah, fingers crossed, Nathan, of course. We should mention, obviously, Millwall do travel to Blackburn uh, during the week, of course. A lot of fixtures of, of teams in and around each other during the week, so it'll certainly shape the table up nicely um, as we approach uh, Saturday evening. Only three points behind Middlesbrough currently as well um, in the table, as you say, so just nowhere really. To be honest, look, you know, of course, keeping an eye on results, but looking at the table, I was almost a little bit taken back because I didn't even realise how far they'd come. So, you know, it's going to be one hell of a game. Um, and as you say, any away game in the championship is always a tough ask. So, fingers crossed we can come through unscathed, as you say, and hopefully maintain that position in and around the playoffs and hopefully within the playoffs by the time we are at uh, Saturday evening, I think, to be honest, Nathan, unless I've missed anything, that is us ready to wrap this up. I um, I will ask you before I go, just in case, because, you know, I do have a tendency to move to the end. But... No, yeah, I think, I think that's pretty much everything. Just a fantastic week past and a big week that we're all hoping for a similar, similar sort of feeling this time next week. Sheffield United and Millwall difficult tests but this Boris I can throw up a lot of a lot of surprises so hopefully the surprises are some fantastic results this week yeah fingers crossed Nathan and 
to be honest, I think it's best if I go and blow my nose because I feel like I've sniffed throughout <laughs> this podcast. So if you're listening on audio or even just watching on YouTube, I do apologise. Um, hopefully I can get this sneeze out. It's been waiting throughout the full uh, throughout the full episode, it's, it's felt like. But um, yeah, I apologise to Nathan as well because you've probably had to endure that throughout uh, the hour or so that we've been recording. But yes, from me and Nathan... Uh, thank you very much for watching and listening. As always, subscribe on YouTube, um, tweet us on our social medias, all of them, of course, at Baropolis. And also, what else, Nathan? Give us a rating on your podcast platforms that you like listening on. Yeah, from me, Nathan, thank you very much. I'm off to blow my nose. Thank you very much for watching and listening once again. And we'll see you again next week with another episode of the Baropolis podcast. Oh, my God! Oh!